So Christian Fourier from WEEI, former Patriots tight end from 2002 to 2005, is our guest here today. We cover Patriots winners and losers from the offseason because, frankly, look, I love getting into the weeds on the Patriots and football as much as anyone. But at some point, we get way too damn granular when it comes to the draft and we roll up coming in OTAs and minicamp and especially training camp where I'm going to be taking just a gross amount of notes. And we're going to get into every little thing because these are the things like 40-yard dashes and broad jumps and how many passes did Mac Jones complete in whatever practice that we cling to until real football comes back. But at some point, I think it's best just to zoom out. That's what we did here today. Christian and I ran down, as I said, winners and losers from the whole offseason, which we forget really started the moment that 47 to 17 went final in Buffalo, which we know now best offensive performance in NFL history in the playoffs. And as much as you'll remember that shockingly coming at the expense of a Bill Belichick defense, the thing I'll remember most about that night in Buffalo, and I promise we won't spend any more time on this because I know you don't want to hear about it and we need to, was just kind of this sense of calm and not quite relief, but something adjacent to that for Mac Jones, who you could see in the way that he was speaking and the way you know, his body language was expressing, he knows that this is his team now, that he can finally take a break in the offseason, attack his weaknesses as defenses have been doing, and successfully so, really in the second half of that year, and that he could make the Patriots his team. And he was looking forward to doing that because, frankly, the 2021 season, which followed a whole year at Alabama, winning a national championship, then the draft process, then a quarterback battle in training camp, it was all over. And at that point, not only is Mac Jones taking over, but the Patriots behind the scenes are going, we want to get tougher and we want to get faster. And those decisions about, you know, how they're going to do that through the draft, in free agency, re-signings, trades, you know, they arrive at those conclusions through dozens and dozens of meetings. They're the position coaches meeting with the players, you know, offensive and defensive staffs meeting separately. Belichick brings them all together and they discuss exactly what went wrong with each player and position and then as a whole. And again, the two biggest conclusions they came to we want to get faster and tougher. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago with Phil Perry, when we we're breaking down the draft, that's the prism we need to look at this offseason through. Did the Patriots win or lose trying to achieve those goals? And also maybe those were the wrong goals or the right goals in the first place to look at that. The speed is easier to quantify, right? Than toughness. You look at Tyquan Thornton, second round receiver out of Baylor. That dude runs forward too. You get faster just by having him on your sideline. Um, defensively, the linebackers are lighter. You know, you say goodbye for now to die to Hightower, goodbye for good to Cal Van Noy. Come on down, Mac Wilson, Cameron McGrone. These guys are lighter. They can cover more range. And we know they're going to play with a ton of safeties in Jabril Peppers. So the speed thing, they got faster how much. It'll depend on how much guys like Taekwon Borden can see the field. The toughness part is interesting to me. And, and Christian and I don't really get into this because you can't really call a toughness a winner or a loser. But I think it's going to determine as much about the Patriots' upcoming season as how much faster they did or did not get. And let me explain, because a lot of different ways to define toughness. For Bill Belichick, he said multiple times on the record, it's about, for players, do you do what's best for the team when it's not necessarily best for you? And I think we can all agree, the Patriots are not particularly tough down the stretch, going one and four after the bye week and getting housed in Buffalo. And when you look ahead to the schedule, which we broke down last week with Bob Sosie, Patriots radio broadcaster, their season is going to be made or broken really from Thanksgiving on with road trips to Minnesota, Arizona, Las Vegas, and a couple games against the Bills. And in those moments, based on the decisions with the roster they've made now, are they going to be tougher? 
are guys going to play through injury? Are guys going to prepare even harder in November and December for these games that could send them to the playoffs or send them home? Are they going to be willing to be take fewer snaps if that's what the coaches decide? And we won't know these answers until November and December. But again, the answers have already started to come by what they've done this offseason. And that's important because sometimes toughness takes a lot longer to develop. And I mentioned in the last episode, I've been covering the Celtics. I think that's an easily quantifiable thing to look at where two years ago, they lose to the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going to see Miami again now in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat are renowned as the toughest team in the NBA. They were less talented and an underdog to Boston two years ago and beat them anyway because the Celtics were a little bit soft. Now, having gone through Giannis, a player that Jalen Brown admitted, look, he's the best player in the world. And he was really, really tough for us to handle. Not because he's a six foot 11 freak who can dunk at will. He's basically Shaq with a handle, but because he's relentless. Giannis Antetokounmpo in the NBA is one of the toughest players who will do whatever it takes to win, regardless of his own personal expense, play after play after play. That's toughness. That's what the Celtics were missing two years ago. The Patriots were missing down the stretch of last season. The Celtics obviously have cured that with the way that they played and fought back from a 3-2 hole against Milwaukee, even if they were more talented. And we'll see what they do against the Heat. For the Patriots, that toughness, I think, is going to make the difference in what should be very close games when the teams that I mentioned, they go to Minnesota, they go to Arizona and Vegas. Right now, you look at the projected win totals for all those teams, it's about eight and a half to nine. Vegas, speaking about the casino and the sports books, see all these teams as pretty equal. And I would agree. So in those instances, it comes down to, were you tougher? Were you smarter? Were you more fundamental? Were you willing to sacrifice anything Monday through Saturday so that you could perform on Sunday? And then if Sunday it's tied going into the fourth quarter, do you have that mindset and that approach that the Patriots did last year? Because I think they're less talented. They definitely have a tougher schedule. Are they going to be tougher themselves? And have they done enough work in this offseason as we zoom all the way out and I made some winners and losers to make sure that you're winning at the right times in the right spots? this season. So Christian Fourier helps me deal with all that. Two more things. I mentioned on the pod that the Patriots and Mac Jones might actually be better next season, but you're not going to see it on the field, which doesn't sound like it makes a whole lot of sense, but in reality it happens more than you think. And I'll bring up the Colts as an example. The Colts were nine and eight missed the playoffs last year. They, I think rightfully are a quarterback away from thinking they can make a run to the Super Bowl. Statistically underneath their nine and eight record, um, those numbers would agree because they had the seventh best point differential in the entire league, well ahead of a lot of other playoff teams, including the Raiders who were 10 and seven. They made the playoffs lost in the wild card round, but they had a bottom 10 point differential. The difference between, you know, nine and eight and 10 and seven missing the playoffs and then making them, even though you might have a worse team really sometimes comes down to luck. In addition to the toughness part that we just covered, it's how do you finish in close games, just a bounce of the ball here or there with turnovers or injuries and so the Patriots were 10 and seven last year. They could miss the playoffs at nine and eight. Mac Jones could be better statistically. And we just don't see it. It's a real possibility in the NFL. It's kind of why you love it. Anything can happen on Sundays. There's too much variance in a 17 game season. It's not a knock on them. It's just the reality of the game. All right. Last thing, as you know, this podcast brought to you by bet online Celtics, man, if you wanted to bet on them winning the last two games, again, you could have made a lot of money and you might've left it on the table because our partners at bet online, Continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the developments, including updated odds, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and even season-long futures that are updated for Major League Baseball. Or if you want to jump ahead to the NFL, 
again, maybe, you know, go low on the Raiders or bet high on the Colts based on what we just talked about, because bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite poker and casino games. It's super easy to get started. Look, if you've been listening to this podcast and you don't understand the money, again, you're leaving on the table, listen to this. Our promo code CLNS50 could give you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at the Bet Online website because Bet Online is where the game starts. So here comes Christian Fourier. Patriots, offseason, winners and losers. We had a lot of fun. Plus, Christian's, Christian's tips. Thank you, Ted Johnson, for this new segment. I guess we're going to do with every ex player how you can get out of speeding tickets and how to handle a bad boss because not every coach is so great in New England as, as Christian will share his opinion and his experience or elsewhere across the NFL. So without further ado, Christian Fourier from WEEI. Christian Fourier from WEEI, Merloni Fourier and Mego, 2 to 6 p.m. weekdays. You know him as a former Patriots tight end. Christian, you and I spoke uh, for the first time yesterday. You graciously accepted my invite to come on the pod. Next, I needed your email to send you the rundown. The email you sent me was a Yahoo email, which I got to tell you surprised me. And it's not it's not on the Earthlink AOL extinct list, but I feel like the Yahoo email is kind of an endangered species. How long have you had that account? Is it really? See, I thought AOL, people were like, I think Lou has an AOL uh, email account. Um, I thought Yahoo people were still cool. I thought Yahoo people were, were still relevant. Uh, if I have to have a Gmail account to be cool, or does it have to be linked to like a work? Like, is that what it is? Like, you need to tell me, be honest with me. Am I completely dating myself by having a Yahoo account? Well, I have a Yahoo account, but it's just for spam, right? Like you go to Fenway or somewhere you need public Wi-Fi. Hey, we need your email address so we can send you a bunch of crap. I'll give you the email I had in middle school. So that's my sense. But look, Tommy Curran has an AOL email. I'll get that out there. So you're, you're not alone. And like I said, that is the extinct list. Uh, but Yahoo just caught me off guard. And the way you spelled it, too, obviously, I'm not going to say the email. You've had this for, for a little while, yeah? Yeah, well, that is like when I was in college, no one knew how to say my last name. And mm. I had to literally go the number four, the letter E, the letter A. So it just, you know, now all my nephews, all my nieces use the same email account. But it's like their name plus four EA and whatever it is they want on the back of it. It's just an it's just a kind of cool, cryptic way of just saying my last name without actually writing it out. How about that? Yeah, we're announcing it on a podcast because we just came very, very close. <laughs> but you know, we'll let the people we'll let the people go hunting for it. And we you can, can write me. that's okay. That's yeah. okay. You can write me. Fan mail. Yeah, that's what Twitter's for anyway. So um, all right. So we're doing winners and losers for the Patriots offseason. You have three winners, you have three losers. I also three winners and three losers. Let's alternate as we go here. Start on the positive side, even though it was a tough offseason in New England. Your number one winner of the Patriots offseason is. My number one winner, we're starting with best. Okay, my number one winner. Um, all right, well, I'm going to put uh, the linebacking group is what mm -hmm. I'm going to put. I'm going to put that entire linebacking core. You know, the whole, you know, narrative over the offseason was faster, younger, all that stuff, especially after you just got just rolled over by the Buffalo Bills and they didn't punt once. So, so they get rid of Van Noy, they get rid of Hightower. I guess we'll see. Who knows? He may come back. I doubt it. Um, they get, get rid of Jamie Collins, all these older, more established players. And they only bring in Mac Wilson. And then they have a bunch of younger guys from the 21 class that are based, coming off injuries that obviously they like. Like, obviously, they've seen them long enough um, with enough reps throughout the season, 21 season, to kind of determine that, 
those guys are good enough to make the team. So they don't draft anybody. Like I, I didn't draft anybody in the linebacker core and they're all small. They're all relatively small. There's not like a, a real thumper in the group other than Juwan Bentley, who in, in my opinion is not a big thumper middle of the guy either. So I think that those are the guys there's, they're going to be versatile. They're going to need to, you know, uh, you know, rep in and out. They're going to have to need a lot of bodies. They're going to have to do a lot of different things. And I feel like they're going to have to treat this linebacking core like, you know, like, uh, like, like hockey players, like first line, mm. go second line, go, go get three reps. Give me everything you can chase like crazy, get lateral as fast as you can make a tackle, get off. I'll give you a break. Next guy go. Now, hopefully they have, you know, more depth than the Bruins do as far as their lines go. It's not just <laughs> one line strong, but I do feel like as far as playing time goes in reps and, a, and I think a positive story that we'll be talking about later on in the year could be some of these young guys like the Raekwon McMillan, like the Cameron McGrone, guys like that, that blew out their knees, had to rehab, and now are going to be forced to kind of to play. Right. Yeah. Well, I thought we would have overlap. You have taken, I'd say, one and a half out of my top three winners. So let's get right into it. And I want to start narrow here. Cameron McGrone was my number one winner of the offseason. And this is a sneaky uh, addition for me. But for a couple of reasons that you mentioned, they didn't draft anyone. Okay. Their big move in free agency was to return Joan Bentley, but he had a very modest two-year, $9 million deal. It's not a sizable commitment. And then the other part is you, the, your first move was to let go of Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower is still in that back. So there's a path to playing time. And then when you get after the draft, you're naturally discussing, hey, Macro, why didn't you take a linebacker? The first player he names after saying he's, quote, very excited for this group, Cameron McGrone, 6'1", 233. They're very excited, quote, to be able to get him on the field a little bit last year and see him in an expanded role. Now his role obviously can't shrink from last year when he doesn't play it down, but they see him clearly as having some sort of starter potential, even as a fifth round pick who really just fell a couple rounds. Cause like you mentioned, he blew out his knee in college. Yeah. And I feel like there is what I think the Patriots are doing is, and I feel like they've done it for a long period of time, but I, I feel like I see it more now recently is almost a college approach. Like imagine when you go to college as an 18 year old, you're unless you're some freak you're underdeveloped you have no idea what's going on you have no idea how to handle just situations or offense. so they dump down the offense like crazy but and so you don't have to think that much because they're all stupid in, in reality but in college <laughs> you know and then you get to the pros and it's like you know it would be really nice to give him one more year even though you play four years like maybe you just play three you're still in your early 20s and you would just benefit from more reps I'm not going to play you at all. I'm just going to let you learn the system because what I learned coming in, like if I didn't know what I was doing, it didn't matter how talented I was. I was never going to, they were, the team was never going to benefit from my skill set because I just don't know where to go. And I don't know how to get there. And it's, it's just, you're just debilitated. So I think I like this approach with these young guys coming off knee injuries having a ton of time to re rehabilitate. So there's no fear of being tentative. Like they're healthy. They're fine. They're in phase two right now. So yeah, I, I like the way they're handling these linebackers. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that too. Cause I remember writing after the draft last year, you know, you get Mac Jones, who's clearly going to play as a rookie quarterback in the first round, Christian Barmore. And then you go to day three, Ramondre Stevenson is that classic, like you're talking about a red shirt approach with the running backs. James Weiss had his first year. Shane Vereen's had his first year. We thought Stevenson was going to be the next in line of a red shirt running back. And then you go to Cameron McGrone and Josh Bledsoe. The whole day three of the 21 draft felt 
we'll just see any year. And I think that's what's happening. I think that's a way to build depth for a team that doesn't have a whole lot, but I think is a reason for optimism generally is just they're counting on things that we can't see yet to build them up come September. And obviously that's a gamble. You don't know how the team is going to develop until you see them on the field. Cameron McGraw and Joshua Bledsoe haven't played a snap, but Ramondre Stevenson, I think, surprised all of us last year, breaking from that redshirt running back mold. And who's to say McGrone can't do that right now? 6'2", 233, he can move. They need that. I know. And when I looked at their sizes, I was just looking at their entire defense overall, not to get to some of my other picks, but I just feel like that is like, I remember like TCU, Gary Patterson, uh, when he was at TCU, he's, he's at Texas now. He created this defense and they called it a 3-3-3. It was crazy. It was like, because he was playing all these, um, you know, these Oregon blur offenses where they were just running all over the place and it was really fast and you couldn't, you, and this is, oh God, it's like 11 years ago. And he had so many light, fast, shifty guys on the field. And they, and they had to, and listen, you just got to cover a lot of space. I need fast guys and I need tough guys. I'm not worried about the big bulky guys like the Alabama guys have because I'm going to create my defense to go against the Oregon's, to go against the Oklahoma's, the Oklahoma State's, guys that are that five wide receivers and are all over the place. That is what this is what we're dealing with now. Like this is the reality of the NFL, um, at least for now. Now it'll shift back in about ten years, but right now, and you can see it in the Patriots' defensive roster right now, which we'll get to, I'm sure later. Yeah, it's interesting you you say that because that's one of my things is that so long the Patriots have been zagging, right? Like we're going to play two back. We're going to go two tight end. The league is spread out. We're going to eventually punish you for going smaller on defense. But it feels like the league is saying, go ahead. You're only slowing yourself down when Josh Allen can go down and score two touchdowns in the last two minutes at Kansas City. And Patrick Mahomes says, I only need 13 seconds to go down and score that playoff game. And the Patriots are kind of run past run. But Let's stay away from that because we're going to get off uh, topic here. All right, your number one loser. I can't remember growing. You have all the linebackers for a winner. We're going to negative town. Who's the mayor? Give me your number number one winner. Your number one loser. Who's your number one winner? You- okay, well, I, this is tough. I'm going to go Mac Jones. And this is <laughs> difficult because, all right, we got more overlap. Yeah, yeah. It's It's not that Mac Jones isn't going to be better next season. I think it's just that Mac Jones could very well be better and make the year two leap. We've been talking about ad nauseum since the season ended 47 to 14 at Buffalo. It's that he could be better and we might not know it because you're looking at a new offensive coordinator, a new play caller, a new quarterbacks coach, a new number one receiver in Devontae Parker, who's played one full season in his entire career since coming out in the draft in 2015. And then you're looking at an offensive line where, as you know, he's a pocket bound ground bound dude. Who's not going to escape. Your two starting guards, most responsible for that interior protection, are new. And one of them's a rookie. And again, I think Cole Strange could be very good. But we don't know that until now. And I think as far as the help around Mac Jones, they brought in some new faces. There's just not a lot of certainty and stability for a guy that you're counting on to elevate the rest of the team and did as much as he could last year. But we saw that was just a 10-7 club that has now arguably worst talent on the roster. Okay, so you must obviously listen to uh, for uh, Merloni, uh, Fourier, and Mego. Oh, of course, seconds. my girl Mego. You got to watch out for her. <laughs> I, I told, I said this about a month ago. Like, don't be surprised if there's a, a regression with Mac Jones. He already, he already kind of, you know, reached a, a height that I think most people didn't think that was possible. So there's that starting off. Hey, you should be better than you were last year. Okay. However, if you just take the things that we know. Josh McDaniels is not here. 
that alone, the fact that you had one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL as your mentor, as your teacher, encouraging you, motivating you, you know, explaining everything to you, dealing with the ups and the downs and the emotions of playing the positions and the physical toll and the mental toll that it takes, he's gone. Now, anyone you replace him with is a downgrade, in my opinion. Yeah. So now, instead of bringing in a offensive corner that is like has some respectability and reputation and history of, of coaching the position, you bring back Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, no disrespect to them, but in their best day, on their best day, they, they can't hold Josh McDaniel's jockstrap, okay? They can't. So just that alone, I think I knock him down a peg because it's just, he's not going to get the same teaching and mentoring. Like that alone, I just take that out. Like he may be smarter, he may be ready. And to your point, like the regression, I think is going to be something that people hold against him. Hey, what happened last year? You were great. Why are you worse this year? I, w- I went through a whole list of, of, of second year quarterback regressions on my show um, without, re- without their coordinators or after a f- good first year. And it was, a, there was a lot of them, you know, who lost their coordinators. It's just hard to replicate that. And, and I, and I've had really good coaches and shitty coaches. The shitty coaches always made it tougher for me to have a good season. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to quantify this, right? Because we can just say, clearly, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia's offensive coordinators are offensive minds. are not as good as Josh McDaniels. But how does that translate in season? And I think I would go back to, you know, people would say, hey, well, Tom Brady carried his offensive coordinators, right, when Josh started, 05, 06, 07, and things were okay. But the difference that Brady and McDaniels would tell you later on when they've had years together, McDaniels is a seasoned play caller and they know what they're doing, is that the problem solving on the sideline became so much faster. They knew what answers to go to because of their time together, because McDaniels had built that system, things that can only come about over time. Mac Jones clearly doesn't have that. You're two kid. Sure. He started as a rookie. Things should be better. Matt Patricia and Joe judge having not constructed the system. They might understand it, but they don't go, you know, up against the bills who again are keeping them out of the end zone better than anyone and say, Hey, we did this in 17 or 16. Let's bring up this play because it cracked them back then. And that's the stuff McDaniels and Brady were doing. And you just don't have that institutional knowledge and control. Was Mac Jones on your, on your loser list though? He was my number one loser. All right. So yeah, we have some more overlap and it's difficult. And I think even statistically he could be better, right? But we see teams all the time where you go, their record isn't reflective of who they are, but they it's worse than the product to see in the field. And it's because they lose close games or you have a bad bounce here or a bad call goes against your way. I think that's the season right now that Mac Jones could be headed towards just based on the help. Like we talked about. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know Joe judge at all. I know Matt well, and I love Matt. I don't think he's going to be calling plays. I don't, I think mm-hmm. he'll be more responsible for the offensive line, which is a important role but it isn't as important as the person who's sitting down with him and saying, okay, I'm responsible for you. Okay. So what are your top 15 plays that you like? What are your top uh, five first and 10 plays? Your, your red zone plays, your, your fringe plays, uh, two minute offense, what's your number one play? Like, I, I think Bill is going to have some impact on this as far as meeting with them. But ultimately when you break the team meeting, you go with your position coach. Right. You know, Brian Hoyer's in there, you know, who's it? Uh, Zappy, the Zappy kid, uh, you know, that they just drafted uh, Bailey Zappy. Um, those guys, you know, manipulate and, and build the game plan. So 
and then and then and then you get into the actual art the art of calling plays mm. and i call it an art because there is that's what it is timing is part of it setting it up like manipulating the defense knowing what knowing their tendencies knowing the defensive coordinator's personality knowing like it, all that stuff plays into it and josh was fabulous at it right fabulous at it i gave him more credit for the timing of his play calling than anything because he was always spot on with it. And that's a significant drop. Yeah. And it's just, again, things that you can only learn over time, those skills that you develop, whether it's Mac, you know, his arm strength or Josh McDaniels in terms of, you know, being able to set up defenses, like certain calls we're going to have in the first quarter, they might not go well. When we come to the counter off of that or a play action look in the third and fourth, we're going to hit it for an explosive starting over. I look at it as a complete reset. Like you, Oh, I'm going to build on last year. No, you're not. Whoever is, whoever is the coordinator is going to have a completely different philosophy. And they'll say, well, it's really, we just, you know, bill sets the tone and then, you know, we uh, adjust from there. Okay. I don't see it that way. Right. I don't. I think right. it'd be me. Let's get positive yeah. again. Number two winner. Who's uh who's on your list here. Okay. The safety room. I love the safety room. I do. I think it's going back to what we talked about earlier in the first group. Like all my winners are defensive players. All my losers are all <laughs> weird. So, and uh, I look at uh, Jabril Peppers. Um, I look at Devin McCourty. I look at uh, um, Kyle Duggar. Uh, I'm forgetting Phillips, um, Adrian Phillips. I feel like that is the core of your defense this year. Mm-hmm. I feel like those guys could be on the field at the same time. I feel like those guys could have like a significant role. Like obviously everybody's important. I get it. But I really like, like their body size. I like their athleticism. I like their versatility. Um, I, I do. I think that that's going to be a really strong position group for the Patriots. That's going to be tasked with a huge responsibility huge responsibility just in the division alone. It's going to be challenging outside the division is going to be tough too, but I, I feel like that that's a winning group right there. Definitely. Yeah, I like it. And I think it's spot on too, because you even go back to 2017, the way the Patriots spend their money, right? Like you're going to pay Devin McCourty, you keep around Patrick Chung, but they're making moves even when they don't have a whole lot of money in the years after that to add to the safety room, because of how much it means to this defense. Cause you're basically playing with three starters. You got one in the box, and two back deep. Adrian Phillips assigned to 2019 or 2020, excuse me. Tom Brady walks. We don't have the money. Sorry. That's a guy they bring in this past offseason. Hey, we don't want to spend anything. But you know what? Jabril Peppers, come on down because it just functions much better when you have a safety at that second level to account for all the speed that we were talking about when you had these thumpers and Bentley and Hightower and Van Noy before to offset some of that slowness that they just get gouged with. And I think you're right that. Duggar could take, you know, as we talk about a year three leap, we saw some playmaking last year that was different from his rookie season when he, he tackles well and he covers. Okay. How are you forcing turnovers? You know, that pick against Cleveland was a great read, breaking the ball, third down pick and McCourty biggest offseason signing or re-signing they needed to make, bring him back. Like this should be, I think, arguably the best position group, not only just on the defense, but probably on the team. Was that your winner too? No, it wasn't. So I'm glad we, I'm glad we finally split here. I'm going to go, a little off the board and off the roster, Matt Groh, their new director of player personnel. I did a huge profile on him last month, so we don't need to get a whole lot into Matt Groh. But a couple of things that stuck out to me, and I'm not sure if you noticed this too, as he's being introduced in the last couple of months. Because before him, of course, Dave Ziegler gets a lot of praise before he goes to Las Vegas. 
They're changing the draft. Big success with his first thing. They go big time in free agency. Everyone likes with the work that Dave, D- Dave Ziegler did. Now, Dave Ziegler, in his 12 months as the de facto GM, never talked to the reporters and had a press conference, never had a press release announcing his move to the top position in the front office, and otherwise was always included in kind of a group when Belichick spoke to him in his own press conferences. Now let's look at Matt Groh. They have a press release mid-February. Hey, here's the new guy. In April, he has his own press conference, all to his own. And then later on, or in between those, I should say, the owners' meetings, Belichick is saying, this guy who has been on the job for six weeks is as good as anyone we've had. And you go back, you know this, three-time Super Bowl champion Scott Pioli, six-time Super Bowl champion and three-time as an executive Nick Casario. Matt Groh now is supposedly as good as him, and Bill has been pumping his tires, even going back to the Mac Jones pick, as I illustrated in that article, where Belichick is going in that video we all saw. Hey, are we good on this? Drafting Mac Jones. Like if they didn't have a decision made already, thinking of franchise quarterback. And the person he asked after that is Matt Grell. Matt, are you good in this? Matt, you're good in this. And he's like, yeah, we just talked Everybody about it. Because yeah, we- Everybody nod your heads. Okay, I'm going to make some hand, hand gestures. I'm going to act like we're all in this together. Okay, and then everybody, okay, make the pick. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's he wanted Matt Grell to be seen. And Matt Grell works his ass off. He's a smart guy. Princeton, University of Virginia, all this different stuff. But- People know his name now, I think, in a way that people wouldn't have with Dave Ziegler last year if the Patriots hadn't spent more money in the history of free agency or hit a home run in the draft. And right now, Macro's free agency and draft hasn't been so good, but we know about him. We're talking about him because of the work Belichick has tried to pump him up. And he's he's a winner, even if the offseason might be a loser, which is a crazy thing to say about a GM. Yeah, like when it's all said and done, when you go you know, five years from now, really four years from now, when you can really judge the free agency, the impact right. of have and the impact that the draftees have you know because i am i am the tie guy says you don't know what the hell you're talking about no one can get a grade right now because you have no idea how these guys are going to play four years from now you could say that was a really good draft class that was a really good free agency class right now it's all speculative you know and that's just the world that we live in and that's what we get paid to do so great but like right now last year's draft was phenomenal like it was, it was great. Like, and this year, will it be good? Well, I mean, probably I don't see Cole strange having a major issue, you know, mm-hmm. um, at least day one. And we'll see about the other ones as we move on. Yeah. All right. You're uh, your number two loser here. My number two loser. Oh yeah. Nikhil Harry. I've, I've been, I've uh, Nikhil Harry. It's really Nikhil Harry and Taekwon Thornton. I kind of merged those two together. Nikhil, like I, for both of them, I think, you know, I think the time has just run out on Nikhil. I think they've tried everything, um, and I just don't think it works. I mean, even going back to last year, you know, after not even playing very well the previous couple years, he almost, like, was, like, asking for a trade. And it's like, what? Like, dude, you're not – what are we doing asking for a trade? And maybe he just wanted a new, you know, address, zip code to kind of, you know, get his feet wet. I just feel like there may be some potential there, but you're not going to find – you're not going to find it here. Um, He needs to leave. He needs to go someplace else. Plus – the receiver room is packed. Like you think about all the guys that are, that are just on the roster that were free agents from last year that technically need to play better, you know, you know, and you, and then you add the tight ends and then you add the backs. I just don't see how he fits in. Like, I just don't. And I throw Tyquan Thornton in there. Cause I just don't see how he gets on the field significant with significant reps. Mm-hmm. You know, I know he's fast, but I've seen fast guys in the league before. Uh, it, it takes them a minute to figure it out. 
And I just feel that the other guys that are more established that are trying the Nelson Aguilar's, the Kendrick Bournes, the, you know, the Jacoby Myers, you know, and then you throw in John U. Smith and you throw in Hunter Henry. It's just, there's not a lot of room unless you go five wide without the tight ends, you know, right. and without a back. So I, I, that, so I feel like he's the biggest loser. Ultimately, I see it being a real uncomfortable and awkward situation with him from beginning to end. And I think ultimately he gets released. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind when the kill Harry, honestly, is just that, that Simpsons gift where it's stop, stop. He's already dead because we've just been burying him for so long. Yeah. And last year, like you said, he requested trade. I think anyone, you know, in the NFL or has wants to change the scenery and is kind of in the prime of their life and career should do whatever they can to maximize that window for him. It was requesting a trade. His trade request though also prompted the question, is this perhaps one of the worst players in NFL history to request a trade? And I think the answer has to be yes. And it's partly a function of circumstance. And I think also just, you know, his own work and contributions, but you're right. I think he needs to go elsewhere. It's certainly only got tougher for him to make the roster. I'm with you. He won't be here um, come week one. My number two loser, the cornerback position. Okay. Two years ago, the Patriots are fielding the best, the number one tandem at cornerback, Stefan Gilmore and JC Jackson, who are very different players now than they were two years ago, but just how the mighty have fallen and particularly a man coverage, because that is arguably the second most position, mo most important position after quarterback. It was as squared away as anyone could add. And now you're fielding Malcolm Butler, who didn't play last year, Terrence Mitchell, who's a journeyman, who was awesome in the interview the other day, but that's not going to help him stop Tyree Kill or Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson, anyone on the schedule. And Jalen Mills, who was playing out of position all last year and was fine at corner, but not a guy you want as a number one. And you're bringing Marcus Jones and Jack Jones. And I was talking to people around the league this week to get some feedback on the draft. They're not as sold as the Patriots are in Jack Jones in terms of his off-field issues, which are substantial, being totally gone. Um, there's a word I can't use on the podcast to describe him as a person. And look, Jack Jones will prove to us who he is on and off the field. He has a fresh slate in New England. He's a rookie. I don't want to bury him just yet. But I think the, the scrutiny is worth it. And as far as Marcus Jones, this dude is going to be, I think, the most fun player to watch in training camp. But that will be as a returner. And maybe if they work him in on offense. So come down and watch Marcus Jones. But at five foot eight. He's not playing anywhere outside. It's going to be in the slot and where they need help is outside. I just don't think they got it this offseason. Look at you with the inside information, personality traits. Man. And, oh, no. That's, man, oh, it's tough. Record. That was another Simpsons gift of stop. He's already dead. And I didn't want to tell the executive, like, please, this is too much. The kid is, you know, and he's, he's hardly a kid, right? Like a lot of these guys are 23, 24, which is the theme of their draft. But he just said he was off our board, and here's the reasons why. And I think that's just something you don't ignore. Patriots feel differently. They might be right. And that's, like you said, the draft. We won't know until if a couple Jones years. Is that Mac or Jack? Say again? J Jack. Z Jack, though. Okay. Jack Jones. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not yeah, not great. But my number two loser. All right, your number, your number three uh, winner here, last winner. Uh, my number three winner. Where is my list? Oh, my number three winner is Malcolm Butler. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just – I mean, listen, there's a, as far as it's an interesting story and I wouldn't know if I would call it a redemption song type deal, like cue the Bob Marley music in the background. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like there were some issues there with him and, you know, and he decided not to play last year for whatever reasons. And he's talking about how, like, if your mind's not right, you can't physically be right, which I totally agree with. So he makes a, grown-up decision and he bails on the season and Bill calls him up and says listen are you focused are you locked in 
And he's like, oh, crap. Yes. And he starts working out, you know, and he's your starter. He's your week one starter right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that story alone and not to keep bringing up the past and like how he didn't play in that Super Bowl and why he didn't play in the Super Bowl. What, what, for whatever reason, they have figured it out, which is, is like a, I think it's an unbelievable trait that Bill has as far as just, you know, dealing with the situation, water under the bridge. OK, let's get back to work type of thing. I think he's great that way. Uh, with players that he's coached that he's kind of tied to yeah so I like that story and we'll see if we'll see if he's any good he's not going to have any choice he's going to have to get out on the field like to your point they don't have anybody it's a it's probably their weakest position on the field right now and just can he somehow just give us one year I know he signed a two-year deal can he give one year of something you know and maybe that's all maybe till the Joneses kind of figure it out I don't know I like the story though he's my winner he's my number three winner yeah, you know, I completely overlooked Malcolm Butler individually as a winner. I, I will admit it, the cornerback group as a whole, not great. But Malcolm Butler, he said it himself, too. Like, you don't burn your bridges. That's the whole reason yeah. he's here. Because yeah. we know that, you know, Belichick will cut ties, particularly if you're not a good to great player, for things that are much less than whatever transpired that caused him to be sat for a Super Bowl, which was obviously a grave consequence for Malcolm Butler. Lo and behold, three years later, four years later, He's back and he's saying things are good. We're working for it because it's not only just an, hey, we'll give you a tryout, which they did, as did the Houston Texans. It's like you said, two year deal. And there's a starting spot right there where you left it that you can go back and feel, fill even at 32 or whatever Malcolm is right now, even after taking a year off. So I think it might take him obviously a little while to get up to speed. OTAs, minicamp are what they used to be. Training camp too, just not a lot of pads, but he could be a player because I just, I don't think those ball skills you know, in my opinion, go anywhere. You might lose a little quickness and long speed, but those instincts, tell me if I'm wrong, like should still be there for Malcolm. Yeah, you know, and, and even I remember like his thing, he was always an effort guy anyways, mm. undersized. He was always like a maximum effort guy and it gave him, I guess, more opportunities than others because he tried so hard and then he was just in the right place at the right time, not because of luck, but because he worked his ass off. So yeah. And it's funny, like, you know, the whole burning bridges thing, I think is really unique. It's special because I don't think based on my knowledge of the situation, going back to the Super Bowl, I don't think there was a reason for him to burn a bridge uh, personally, but, but still, you could still see, I was in my uniform. I was cleared to play and I didn't play. So it could, there could easily be a match thrown over your shoulder, <laughs> you know, that type of thing, but he did it. And listen, Cause I, I have a hard time. Like of all the years that have passed, like nobody's ever said anything negative about the other person, like ever. Yeah. Publicly. And you know, there's some reporting around that obviously the night after the Super Bowl is going to be tough. And you know, Malcolm, according to Seth Wickersham's book, was just like, you know, these bleeping guys looking at the coaches when his teammates are going, why were you benched? And, but that's it. That's all. That is the extent to which we know all these years later. And I think as much as we're going to know, because Malcolm was open about it, he was great in our interview uh, with him via Zoom when Patriots reporters got to talk to him about it. And it's a credit to him because ultimately, if you want to get what you want moving forward, you got to let go of the past. And they have done that as much as the rest of us are clinging to that Super Bowl going, what the hell happened here? If you want to do this, let go. Oh, wow. That's that's inspirational. You got it, Christian. This is what we're here for in past interference. A little bit of everything. A little, uh, little mix it up. Uh, all right. You, I mentioned at the top, you hit, you know, one and a half of my winners with the linebackers. My third winner is just the young outside guys, the edge guys. Josh Uche, Ronnie Perkins, you know, have a chance to start. Even after Perkins took a red shirt last year as a, as a third round rookie. 
Uche, someone I was talking to that same executive going, can you tell me what the Patriots are doing with him? Like we had him super high on our board, super talented guy. Why isn't he playing more? I go, it's a great question. I think the default answer, we hear this all the time from young edge players, Chase Winovich can tell you, set the edge on first and second down and you can go to town on third. And I think these guys just haven't done it. But even despite losing Kyle Van Noy, the Patriots have enough faith in one of those two guys or maybe Anthony Jennings to step in and start because no one knows who's opposite Matt Judon. They didn't draft anyone really. One of these guys is going to play a lot. Yeah, and I like uh, – there are significant, like, holes where, like, okay, I've moved on. This position is open for the taking. Not a spot player. Like, you, got, one of those guys have to step up and own that spot. Mm-hmm. And because you have um, you have our guy – oh, my God. Uh, ooh, um, who is the other guy? The other defense Judon? end. Judon. We got Matthew Judon, who ain't going anywhere. So it would be nice to identify a person, one player who can legitimately, I own this spot. This is my spot. I'm responsible for it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll spell myself, but I don't want to be off the field. Like to me, you know, and maybe it's, you know, position by committee. I'm not sure, but it is nice to know that you have a, like, a, a, you know, bookends, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, Hey, listen, they're not going there. And they, you go right. It's a challenge. You go left. It's a challenge. You go up the middle. Good luck with the beef up, up front right now. Yeah. All right. We each have one loser left. Uh, I want to go through these quickly just because we got a couple more things at the end. Uh, my last loser, we don't need to discuss him. Nick Cayley, the tight ends coach. This dude was stranded on an island where Josh McDaniels took all of his teammates and the booty from the island, and he's just left stranded. And who comes to rescue him but Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, who say, oh, yeah, we're in charge now. Like, this is the guy most experienced offensive assistant. He wants to be an offensive coordinator one day. He coaches a position that after quarterback typically produces the most offensive coordinators, right, because tight ends are involved in the run game blocking they're involved in pass protection and of course running routes you know all this i don't know why i'm explaining it to you christian fourier patriots by then <laughs> but nick Cayley is still there and as far as we know um he's in the same old position and he's not getting a promotion and this is a guy that i know from people he's worked with in the college ranks really really like as a smart guy incredibly hard working and look you don't get into the building at one patriot place if you're not smart and hard working but he has stood out for those reasons for a long time and he's just not getting rewarded with that. And it seems like the bigger prom- promotions are going to Joe Judge and, and Matt Patricia. Yeah, his growth plan just got hijacked by a f- couple former head coaches who just literally just said, I'm the captain now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back yeah. of the boat. Um, yeah, I know. I, I actually thought he would, that was a natural progression for him. But based on, you know, the, the, the guys that came back, I just, you know, I just, unfortunately, you know, just keep your head down, do your work. And that guy will end up with a better job eventually. Yeah. Uh, but my um, number three loser mm-hmm. is every rookie's personality and ability to think for themselves. <laughs> That's my number three loser. Yeah. My number three loser, like take a good look at these guys from their college days. They're never, ever going to talk the same way for the next 12 months. Just forget about it. And it's already happened. It's already happened. It's, it's like yeah. Stacey James came into, you know, the uh, the interview room with one of those MIB things and said, Clink! and it's like, hey, my personality has gone. My ability to think for myself is gone. Uh, my willingness to make my own decisions is gone. It's just gone. Good luck. You ain't going to see it. Like, like, think about Christian Barmore. Like, when they finally let him speak, like, 
midway we we who did not fall in love with christian barmore make a pile make a pile who did fall in love with him like it's fabulous so these guys they're just going to be they're just going to be numbers you won't know what they're really like you're not going to know what makes them tick you're not going to know what their favorite movie is they're just going to be bodies the next that's uh so that's listen hey congratulations you got drafted it's by the parents hey we'd like to take your keys your wallet your driver's license oh your personality you give me your personality oh but it's my person no no we need your personality too yes yeah in uh look all you had to do was watch the mac jones press conferences and it's nothing against the kid he's incredibly smart he was trained at alabama in the same way because this is this is the bill belichick media training let's let's make that clear you know it's implemented by pr staff other people around the organization, but um, yeah, it's look, spread credit to your teammates, take blame on your own. Don't speak about specific players. Um, you know, stay in the moment, speak for yourself, all those things. And just, just get used to hearing a lot of that. Cause that's, uh, that's my job. And now your job, you talked to Mac Jones as well. And that's just kind of, that's just kind of how it is. Um, all right, moving on, on the field OTAs, we've got about three or four practices. The media gets to check in three day mini camp in June. This is all we're going to see until training camp. So you better believe listening to this, we are going to squeeze everything we can out of those practices in terms of notes, and then take those notes and make giant proclamations about how the season is going to go completely unfairly, but that's how it goes. Now, if there's one thing though, that you want to learn and not have it blown out of proportion, but just say, I saw this over a few days in practices. This is true. Now you want to learn about the Patriots from OTAs and minicamp. That thing is what? Oh, this has been my cross that I'm bearing for the, mm. for the last three months. Who is calling the plays and who is running the huddle? Which coach is run? Like, where is the quarterback standing? You want to know who's really in charge of the quarterback? After a play, after a series, that quarterback will go back and stand by that particular coach. And they usually have a piece of paper in his hands. And that's the script. That's the script that they go by. Those are the periods and the plays that they're going to call. And that person is the, the backup quarterbacks usually standing there also. So it'll be Brian Hoyer and Billy Zappi. That's, that is what, because ultimately I don't think you can tell anything from OTAs. Like I don't, I don't think you can tell okay. anything from OTAs. Um, everybody's a brother-in-law. Like everybody's just like, some guys don't want to be there. Some guys do. It's like, whatever. And then um, it's really a thinking camp to be honest with you. But yeah, that is what I'm looking for. I'm done with the defense. I could care less what Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo do. Mm-hmm. Uh, which guy is in charge there? Whatever. I want to know who's in charge of the offense. Gotcha. Um, I want to see if Tyquan Thornton, again, we're going to learn more about this in training camp and preseason. How, how does he just look off the line? Like, can he separate? That's the deal. We know the kid can run. I think he's more of a linear player than the Patriots believe him to be if he can show at least some flashes of he's coming over the middle and you're not catching him or he's shaking you at the line and there's some hope there, there's something to mold. It's not just, I'm the kill Harry. I'm bigger than you, but if you get a hand at me at the line of scrimmage, it's a stalemate. And that means as a receiver, I've lost. Like I need to see a little bit of wiggle at a Taekwon Thornton because he will be as soon as he steps on the field, the most sudden and dangerous player on this Patriots offense, which last year was Nelson Aguilar, but he couldn't separate a really good off the line or break any tackles. So that's where you see the long speed, not really translate as much as we can in OTAs and minicamp and more so minicamp. Does Taekwon Thornton at least show flashes of that? Cause that's what you want to tap into in the next two seasons. I think you will like he'll separate vertically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just too fast not to, I think, can he separate horizontally? Like when he's sometimes he's super fast guys that are like long striders, 
you know, on like a Tyreek Hill, who's, you know, quicker feet, like they can't break down and separate horizontally, like, like long diagonal routes, they're great at because they just build speed in vertical routes, you know, middle of the field reads where we're cutting through, getting through the safeties, those guys, he'll separate big time. Any digs, any comebacks, that's, that is what I would look at. Like when he, when he, when he's at top speed, how quickly can he break down and get out of it? Because he's going so fast. And to me, that's a big freaking flag. If I'm a DB, here he goes, I'm breaking on because he can't get out of his breaks. That's what I have seen with a lot of these fast guys, you know, in the NFL once, once they leave college. Gotcha. All right. A couple quick hitters. We call them four downs off the field stuff, some media stuff. Number one question for you inspired by Ted Johnson, who boasts that he gets out of 60 to 70% of speeding tickets because he's Ted Johnson. When was the last time Christian Fourier got pulled over for speeding and did he get out of it because he's Christian Fourier? Yeah. My kids laugh about this all the time, like all the time. But I don't think it's less to do. I got pulled over in Pennsylvania like two weeks ago and I got pulled over uh, last week right here in Foxborough. But it has, I think it has less to do about who I am. It's more to do with how I handle it. Ooh. Uh, I have a, I come from a whole family of police officers my dad, my uncles, all deputy sheriffs in L.A. County. So what, what I always do is take accountability and then I apologize. And then if that doesn't work, I play dumb. That. <laughs> That alone. Hey, listen, you know, first thing they ask you, Hey, you know, I, do you know why I pulled you over? Yeah. You know what officer? I'm so sorry. I was totally speeding. My kids were yelling. Like I could, I wasn't paying attention. I was thinking about something that was at work. I'm so sorry that I did it. It's never going to happen again. And then they usually say, I'll be right back. They leave, they come back. All right. Have a nice day. Like that's what I think the key is. Like if you get out of tickets in like Pennsylvania, New York, uh, you know, other States, it's, it's your manner in which you approach the officer, not who you're, what your name is. Mm, I like it. I, I think that's good too. Cause I remember getting pulled over in Jersey. This was as a college student. And at that point I was told I have a young, fresh face an honest face. And this genuinely helped me get out of it. I don't know if people would say that now, but the last question in this particular incident in Jersey that got me pulled over was, you know, we told them, Hey, we're student journalists. We're coming down to cover whatever game I went to UConn. He goes, you, uh, you're a Red Sox or Yankees fan? And I said, sir, I would never lie to you. I'm a Red Sox fan. He goes, good man, we'll get you out of here. Because <laughs> we had Connecticut plates. It could have been either one. So yeah. it's one of those things where I think you said the honesty and you kind of just like put your head down and get through it. But I think apologetic, were, yeah. yeah, honest. And then you, you, most cops will give you the benefit of the doubt, you know. I mean, some are jerks, but, but yeah. that's in life. All right. You hit on this earlier, which I was super happy about because, you know, people always want to know, hey, what are your best Bill Belichick stories? Belichick playing for him is such a great privilege. You mentioned playing for some, quote, shitty coaches. Um, so what was a time that you had a coach? You don't have to name any names. You could have been a position coach, an OC, a head coach where he didn't know what he was doing. And how did you handle that? Either Seattle, New England, obviously, and in Carolina, you know, anytime across your career. Well, I, I, I had, uh, I won't name any names, but I had a real bad one in Seattle and I had a real bad one in New England. Um, and it wasn't Jeff Davidson, who was a great coach. Um, the one in Seattle was like a guy that like Mike Holmgren brought with him from Green Bay. And he was like a special teams coach or like a quality control guy, was never played football in his life, did not know how to coach the position, just had no clue what he was talking about. And it was 
And I was like in year six at the time. And it was just a, just an unbelievable like challenge to listen to this guy over and over again, talking about stuff he had just didn't know what the talking about i'm sorry for cursing and the other one was with was with new england it was me dan and ben ben watson and we were all we already knew what we were doing we were pretty established we kind of had a way of doing thing and it worked and this guy came in just guns a blazing like during phase one or phase two of otas like just demanding all this stuff from us and we're like dude, like, what are you doing? This is not what we do. Like there was a couple of times where I literally felt like either Dan or Ben was going to attack him and strangle him. <laughs> like, like in separate occasions, I was like, I remember like going, okay, can we all just calm down for a second? Just nod your head and say yes and do it the old way. Just nod your head to say yes and ask Tom. Nod your head to say yes, ask Dante, you know, like just do that. And he only lasted a year. Like, there's no way he was, it was, that was, it was more, it was more funny than it was for me because like, I was already kind of out of the mix. I wasn't even playing a lot. And these guys were really doing all the work. And, and I was like, just do it the way we used to do it. Like, that's it. Just, just, you know, it works like, or, or just nod your head and say, yes. And just, if it's successful, he'll add a boy you to death. Mm-hmm. But if you make him look stupid and you screw up the play, then you're going to have to answer to him. But yeah, it was those two guys that I remember specifically that just made the year really long. Wow. So I, I guess those are more tips, Christian Fourier life advice that you could take and apply to your own job. If you have a boss who's insistent on just being terrible, nod your head and go around them. Yeah. 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 Whatever you say. Yeah. You got it. We, it was a lot of, you got it. I, it. It took a while. You got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. It was a lot of high roading. Yeah. I would call it you got to high road the shit out of them <laughs> when in doubt. Yeah. You know what? Absolutely. That was a great call. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yep. All right. Good. Well, it sounds like you're right. He only lasted a year. So Patriots uh, yeah. knew they made a mistake and moved on. All right. Besides talking about sports for a living, um, the best and worst parts about being a midday host on EEF. Oh, uh, that would be afternoon day host. Um, mm-hmm. But that's afternoon. Day host, yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It's like, it's like, I'll take time out of my day to do your podcast. Come on. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the best part about it, I tell you right, right now, like, uh, um, you know, other than just family stuff, being able to, you know, you know, put the kids on the bus and stuff like that. Um, you get to hear everybody else's opinions and, you know, you can make fun of them if you want based on their opinions. <laughs> going to say that first uh, part didn't sound so great. Just look at my mentions. There's a yeah, lot of, yeah. Ask for uh, this, but okay. Yeah, no, uh, no, it's, listen, I love, I love my job. I love it. It's, um, it's never the same. Um, you know, you can go from being stupid and silly or, or to really confrontational and angry in a moment's notice. And uh, the day just flies by. Like we're talking sports in pop culture, really. That's we would probably 80% sports, you know, in you know, 20%, uh, you know, pop culture and, you know, stupid issues with our lives. So, yeah. And the addition of Mego is nice too. She got a ticket the other day. Actually, she got pulled over. She sent the text out. I said, just start crying. Isn't that what all girls do? She's got an Adam one too because she got recognized yeah. for hosting Quicksilence. That happened a couple of years ago. She was, uh, she was late to filming a video with us at the Herald. Obviously, used to work at the Boston Herald. And we were like, where the heck is Megan? I was like, I I tell my girls, I say, whenever you get pulled over, just start crying. Yeah. Start, yeah. They have a heart. Uh, all right. Last one, fourth down. Um, what did you get right about the media when you were a player? And then what was something you believe that was wrong that you only know now being on the media side 
looking and covering football? Holy cow. Uh, what did I get right and what did I get wrong about the media? Um, man, um, I would say, what did I get wrong? A lot of the things um, that I would say, uh, you know, when you hear people criticize you or you think it's personal, uh, I think sometimes it could be, but the majority of time it isn't. Like, I don't have an ax to grind with anybody. I don't have, I, most of the people I talk about, I don't know. I'm just reacting and analyzing based on what I see or what I hear. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, most of the guys are actually really cool. Uh, you know, uh, and the guys that you would hang out with, like that's, I th- probably think that's what I think I got wrong. Um, you know, just because I thought this would never be a world I would want to live in. Um, just based on what you hear and some of the exaggerations that happen. But when the red light goes off, you realize that, you know, some of it's produced and some of it's real, but regardless, you know, like that's probably what I got right. What I got, uh, what I got wrong, what I got right. Um, I knew it was going to be a lot of work. I knew it was going to be a lot of work. I knew there's going to be a lot of reading, um, a lot of like watching just stuff, you know, constantly like it, it is similar to, you know, anything else I've ever done in my life. Like there's just, you know, there's just a lot of work that goes into it. You think, you know, Hey, you just turn the light on, but when you're like, you got to watch all the games, you know, like every game, I watch every single game, mm-hmm. every single game. Um, and, uh, and sometimes when we talk about it, like I just wasted three freaking hours. What the hell are we doing here? Um, so yeah, so that's, that's probably what I think I got right. I just knew it would be a lot of work. Cool. All right. Yeah. Preparation. I mean, it's not unlike the key when you're playing as a player, what, what you do on Sundays is going to make, you know, it's going to be determined by what happened Monday through Saturdays. And so when you're on two to six, it's a lot of what happens in the other 20 hours, you know, that you're doing to get ready for those hours and prepare and then just kind of let it fly. No. Yeah. And then you just react. Like you really already have the information. Listen, we're not digging ditches, you know, nobody's like really, you know, back is breaking, you know, your feelings may get hurt once in a while, but if you don't have thick skin, you, this is the wrong business to be in. And if you don't have a short memory, this is the wrong business to be in. Like I have cursed out Glenn Ordway and yelled at Lou and haven't gotten to a fight yet with Mego yet, but I'm hoping that happens soon. Good luck. You're going but, down. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, no, I, like I am not going to feel sorry for her once I yell at her. Um, but you know, and, and I hope that she feels and anybody feels comfortable doing it back. Like that's, 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 that's the job. So um, that part, I like, I like the verbal jousting. Yeah. So it's a sign, you know, it's a sign of closeness. Like we're not going to yell at each other unless they do something egregious because this is our first real conversation. You know, likewise, maybe if you come back, we can just scream at each other for 45 minutes instead of having a good conversation like we just did. Yeah. I remember one time I called, I did, I did take a, uh, have a, do a low blow to Glenn one time. I like really hit him below the belt <laughs> and like, I had to call him and apologize. I was like, listen, I completely crossed the line, you know, like that was unfair. Uh, and he was like, you know, water off a duck's back, man. No big deal. I was like, all right, good. So maybe I didn't hit you below the belt. He's like, yes, you did. <laughs> Folksy. I like the water off a duck's back. People say water under the bridge. Yeah. I hadn't heard water off a duck's back. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. All right. Chris, that's you, it. Yeah. You got to go. This was a lot of fun. I would count us as winners of the Patriots off season uh, because this was good as much as the draft and for agency didn't give you a whole lot to talk about. I'd imagine two to six on EI. Anything else you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? Um, 
I would like the one thing I told you about earlier, I just don't understand why admitting what position you coach is taboo now. I don't understand why you can't say what position you're coaching unless you really don't know, which I have a hard time believing. Like if I, if a tight end is like, if I'm a tight end, like who's my tight ends coach? Oh, you know what? We, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, we are the world, you know, it takes a village to coach a, an offense. I just don't get it. That's it. That is, that is all I will say about that. I just don't understand why no one wants to admit that they're coaching a certain position. Yeah. And for those who don't know, that was the uh, stance that we heard from all the Patriots defensive assistants and some on offense, some admitted to their positions, but uh, nobody admitted anything, Andrew. Well, we nobody Joe admitted Judge, anything. Joe Judge is working with quarterbacks and Matt Patricia offensive line, which I'll tell you was an upset. No, no. no. Yes, yes, I'm gonna be. Yes, I'm working with the quarterbacks, and so are other people. Like no one really took ownership of any position. I heard that. Uh, that I heard all, all of them, and he's like, you know, listen, I don't want to be evasive. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yes, I am working with Mac Jones, and so are like a bunch of other coaches. So like, there really wasn't any like, I'm the guy. Well, let like, me backtrack then. My one loser, Nick Cayley. Shout out Nick Cayley. Said I'm working with the tight ends. I don't know my official role. But I'm working with the tight ends. He came through truth-telling Nick Cayley. Shout him out. Another tight ends guy. Just stick with the tight ends, I think, is a message of this podcast. Can't go wrong. Christian Fourier, Nick Cayley. Listen to Christian, 2 to 6, WEI, Merloni Fourier, Mego. This was awesome, man. Hopefully we can uh, can do this again. 